Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last talk. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Marcus, honestly, Kissel, this does pertain to you. Okay. Like you've had long-term relationships before. Sure. What is the if you guys sat as a couple and have talked about what crime the other person would be willing to cover for for the Uh other person? Bank robbery. Yeah, sure. Immediately, <laughs> bankruptcy, yes. jewel thief. That makes sense. Yes, Broadway. The because stealer, that benefits you. The stealer of Broadway tickets to Phantom of the Opera. You, I mean, because if you get two orchestra <laughs> street, orchestra streets, orchestra yeah. seats, you're making money. There you go. I would say justifiable homicide that I might go to prison for. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's a question <laughs> as to like if it's kind of like iffy, like well, you might go to prison for that. I don't know. Yeah, she'd cover for that. Natalie said the hmm. main thing she'll cover for me for is accidental death. Yeah. If it's truly a fuck up. Well, then right? you if don't go like to jail up, for accidental death. You do, though. Yeah. Not involuntary really. man, involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, bro. You is go it? to jail. You go to jail for it. And she said that's the one thing she's willing to truly cover up. for. And instead of well, the embezzling, well, embezzling all that kind of shit, I'm just saying <laughs> in, in, <laughs> with money crimes, I just wouldn't bring her in. Money crimes, I don't bring her in. Okay, yeah. So she doesn't good. see, because I don't want to make her, yeah, she needs plausible deniability. But on the other hand, she's also your wife, and she cannot test, be forced to testify against yes. you. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> That's how you do that. That's what you do, man. That's yeah. how you get that shit fucking done, bro. You nailed right. it. You guys beat the system. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. Yeah. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry and yeah. hanging out with Marcus. Today's so, oh. I, I know it's not Valentine's Day. It is no. not. <laughs> it is the opposite really? of Valentine's Day. This couple <laughs> examples exemplifies everything that honestly is technically, you know what? I'm wrong. It does exemplify Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day is the thing that's wrong. I think Valentine's Day is the shitty holiday. It's the shitty part of this. Yeah. So today we are covering the wonderful love affair between Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. Say it correct. Bernardo. And I do have to warn everyone, all levity is out of the room now. Because this story is so freaking disgusting. This is a gold star painted and dipped in gold. This is so nasty, dude. It goes in and out. Because when it comes down to it. That's a horrible way to say what we're about to talk about. Do we need to warn our audience about love? (laughs) Carla and Paul. Are they a Canadian pair? Superstars. Oh, my gosh. 
Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, a.k.a. the Barbie and Ken killers, were two sexually sadistic, psychopathic Canadians who were together responsible for the deaths of three teenage girls in Ontario during the early 90s. Oh, Ontario. My question to you is, and I'm going to push back immediately, Wow. I mostly see, in, in popular nomenclature, Ken and Barbie. Ah, Barbie. I like Barbie and Ken. I like oh. Barbie and because Ken as well. I, I like am the a feminist. Oh, <laughs> that's what this is about. Oh, no, I'm not going to be one of those guys. I'm not going to be one of those guys. I swear to God, I'm not going to be one of those guys. No, wow. but Marcus will teach you guitar. And <laughs> will teach you about veganism. <laughs> if she really is the Barbie of serial killers, point, she can't even walk. They figured out Barbie, the dimensions of Barbie <laughs> she is impossible. Move. She cannot move. She is bedridden. She is Terry Schiavo. Is that your dream woman? Hey, man. <laughs> Terry everybody, Schiavo with silicone implants. I'm sorry, ladies, but everybody wishes for a woman with a seven-inch waist. <laughs> so there's no organs get in there. Oh, God, those pesky, unsexy organs. Paul Bernardo alone, however, had his own nickname before he even hooked up with Carla. He was known as the Scarborough Rapist, and from 1987 to 1990, he raped at least 13 teenage girls near bus stops in highly violent snatch-and-grab scenarios. Oh, that's how he got the nickname. Yeah. I thought it was Ugh. just because he was brutal at Monopoly. No, yeah, no, no, or he did something wrong to Joe Scarborough. No, no, no not right. <laughs> no, no. It's a disgusting scene that I didn't want to... Morning, Joe. It's been a rough night. <laughs> Together, <sighs> Carla and Paul would also repeatedly abuse teenage girls that they didn't kill, drugging them, and in many cases, videotaping their crimes for later viewing. In their most well-known crime... Paul and Carla abused and accidentally killed Carla's 15-year-old sister. Oh I will Together. put some quotation marks on accidentally because that I still feel like the jury is still out on whether or not it was highly accidental. But this is going to be an ongoing conversation yes. that we're going to have as we cover the story because yeah. it really is about that. Because you, you're going to go into a launch into an argument here mm -hmm. about Paul Bernardo, which yep. is I think is interesting. But it's also it's weird because you wonder, like, is murder the goal or is murder a happy accident for the sadist? Mm -hmm. Certainly could have been avoided if they didn't do anything that led up to that person, air quotes, accidentally dying. Are you talking sure. about Amway? Because <laughs> <laughs> that is what we'll started it all. <laughs> now, I know our Canadian listeners are getting excited here oh, because the Homolka. Oh, betcha, I'm ready to go there. Because the Homolka Bernardo case is quite possibly the most well known and most debated true crime case in Canadian history. And let me this tell you what you're doing here wrong here. No, my main thing is you're trying to talk about Carla Homolka, but I know for a fact she shouldn't have got out of prison, and we all know that. And if anybody thinks differently, they can go sock a gopher. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting triggered I'll never and, forget know, the last time we were in Canada oh. And I was talking to uh, Travis Morningstar And I was like man they apologize a lot here And as I said that a bus that a bus rolled by That just said sorry And it's like I, just, I don't This isn't fucking cars <laughs> This is no. a Pixar movie But sometimes, but sometimes a Canadian does need to apologize And perhaps that's who we're talking about here Yes yeah. And also Canadians aren't polite. They're passive aggressive. We'll okay. get to that we know in a this. second. We know this. You guys know this about yourselves. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there is good reason why people just can't stop talking about Paul and Carla. See, these two committed quite a few of their crimes together. But because people can be a little sexist when it comes to crime, 
There are many who still believe that Carla was nothing more than another victim of her husband, Paul. Whoa, are you saying that Carla's a hashtag girl boss? Whoa. (laughs) But we here at Last Podcast do not subscribe to this view. To that point, I think it's somewhat of a misnomer to say that Carla and Paul were serial killers. Because killing was not a part of Paul's paraphilia like it was for someone like Dennis Rader or Ted Bundy. Instead, I think it's more accurate to call Carla and Paul psychopathic sexual sadists. Jesus. This is honestly it's a long title. Well, it, it sounds scarier than serial killers. <laughs> yeah. And during the course of their sexual crimes, they accidentally killed three girls. By way of explanation, their sexual sadism was so intense that they just didn't care whether their victims lived or died because sometimes they did live. And they were so in the throes of their paraphilia at the time that they were doing it. They weren't even really thinking about the end result. Can we give a clarification to the term paraphilia? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Paraphilia is fetish. It's a, it is a fetish outside of you know what is quote-unquote normal sexual behavior. Okay, gotcha. And these guys are not normal. Uh, yeah. In any way, shape, or form. But I also believe... And what is normal, Henry? The way oh. that he licks his wife's feet before she goes to bed every night? Hey, man, she's got to go to sleep. Because if not, all she does is kick and kick and kick and kick. Henry, come and play dog. Don't fucking... Why are you giving my beautiful model wife the voice of a bent-over crone woman that looks for, like, roadkill? Like, she's a, she's a model. It's, Henry, will you lick my feet before I go to sleep? And I say right, yes. I see. I see. Um, But it is weird because I feel that Paul and Carla were cut off by Carla for their soon-to-be future as serial killers. Mm. I think that as time goes, Mm. as what we will show, is that they were getting really used to the idea of killing people. And they were escalating and escalating and escalating. After years of one person escalating, Carla, Carla joining up with Paul them starting a whole new sexual game together. And I think that if Carla decided to not pull the plug, mm. this is they would have went on to kill many, many more people. Just sounds like this is the worst third wheel situation ever. <laughs> what do you mean? Like if you're <laughs> to be the victim, you're just like, uh, this is so annoying. You guys yeah. are together. And why am I here? It's awkward. But really, the act of extreme sexual sadism was more Paul Bernardo's thing. This is a very complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. Carla, on the other hand, was a hybristophiliac. Interesting. Meaning that she was sexually attracted to men who commit crimes. Hybristophilia, that's what okay. it is. Interesting. Cool. Interesting. Case, I never heard that term before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we, we talked about it in the Women Who Love Serial Killers episode. So like, you did uh, talk five years ago. You did talk <laughs> five, years ago. <laughs> five years ago. You heard about it. And in Carla's case, she was specifically attracted to a man who committed sexual crimes but hold their dog meat that's only if you believe every single word that she's ever said and every single thing that she's ever done but not (laughs) if you listen to what the court said about her carla was just a she was just there right she was like the butler who always get blamed you know why the butler gets blamed why because people are against essential workers in this country i completely and people are afraid of the working class rising up against the masters which is why we jail the butlers very true with you i agree with you Well, basically, what all this means is that Paul committed his crimes because he had a compulsion to do so. He had an Mm. uncontrollable urge. Conversely, Carla participated in these crimes because it made her horny. And, And she had no qualms about the consequences because she is undoubtedly a psychopath without an inkling 
of conscience. I would put her as the Tanya Harding of serial killers. <laughs> Same you know, hairstyle. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Bulldog so. of the ice. Well, Tanya, yeah. I think, had a good heart, though, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah. Tanya had a winner's heart, which doesn't make <laughs> you necessarily good nor bad. It just makes you a winner. It's like Michael Jordan. You look at him, right? Like, is he necessary? Is he a nice man? No. Is he ultimate champion? Yes. Yes, he's mm-hmm. fine. He's fine. He's a goat. Yeah. I mean, really, if you if you want to know what um, what Carla Homolka looks like, if you're a love after lockup fan, she looks like a prettier version of Tracy, uh, of Clint and Tracy. Wow. R.I.P. Tracy, by the way. reference. Yeah. I love it. She does look like the very famous term. She does look like a uh, a hog with a perm. A little bit. She is not. She's got big Canadian hair. Her hair is. I, I could tell she's Canadian by the haircut. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. It's a beautiful hairstyle. Mm-hmm. It's but not. The, I, it's not. You can't. Don't defend Carla. This I'm, is the I'm thing. defending hairstyles. Like, I'm defending hairstyles. To be fair. Yeah. To be fair. But the moment Paul's homicidal tendencies began to turn in Carla's direction, she detached from the relationship immediately and very quickly painted herself as a victim who was forced to participate in these crimes by quite possibly the worst Canadian to ever exist. Wow. That's big. That's saying the worst Canadian. Because Robert mean, Picton, right? That was probably the other worst, quote unquote, Canadian to ever live, right? Mm-hmm. But then Robert Picton also had like a system of dudes that were all with him. It yeah. was like an environment mm-hmm. that they had created. And in a way, they were doing things. And then they also viewed it as body disposal, all the horrible things they did. And that was because they were so, what we cover a lot of times in the last podcast and left, they were so simple minded, they became evil. Like it yeah. went all the way around. Well, Paul Bernardo is uh the ted bundy of canada he is the person is a he is a highly adaptable and able psychopath but he's also very fucking stupid so he has these like animal instincts that allow him to do certain things very well like manipulate people and shit but it really comes down to brass tacks he's a fucking moron wow so Mm -hmm. we're thinking bernardo picton and then terrio rock terrio was oh yeah yeah, that's right then we got rocked we got Rock Terrio, yeah. the worst Canadian, and Mark Ooh. Twitchell. Mark oh, Twitchell's Twitchell. A Twitchell yeah, he's. You know, I feel like actually Twitchell is owned to entertainment. Yes, yeah, so yeah. like that's he's he doesn't know territory, and he's not even the worst director. You got no. Roman Polanski. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, speaking of that's Canada. fun. That's for the audience. Picton. Terrio. Yeah, you do. You kick that around, Bernardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, yeah, talk about it amongst yourselves. But speaking of Canada. Again, like the Robert Picton case, we're really going to try our hardest to not rip on our friends to the north too much. You know, they're just, they're just like, (laughs) what's the word we'd use? I am going to use a couple of words here Mm. in a second. After reading this story and comparing it to other Canadian true crime stories, Mm. I'm sorry, but I just about come to the conclusion that Canadian cops are the laziest, most incompetent police force in the Western world. I, or, you know, at the very least, they're definitely the most naive. They're just so okay. polite. They're so polite that if, even if you've murdered somebody, they don't want to ruin your day. Like, yeah. even if you've done horrendous <laughs> crimes, they're not trying to hassle you. Like, no. And it's that view, it's that thing. No. Again. I mean, like, we're not trying to bother you. We're not trying to get you out of sorts here, but we're trying to do an investigation that I don't know how to say this together, but you're like the center of it. 
<laughs> you no, know, you're not. like, all oh, the evidence is pointing like to you jelly. there, bud. Like the jelly in the donut. Remember? Oh, that's so me like the jelly in the donut. Bob, that's so appropriate. Yes, you're the jelly. We're the donut pastry, right? <laughs> and there, I mean, a lot of the jelly is blood, apparently. <laughs> no, I don't think they're polite. I think they're just looking for any excuse to not get off their ass and do some work. Oh, God, I mean, well, oh, honestly, we're just I, not, mean, I just don't want to get pulled over by a Canadian cop when we go back to our <laughs> Seriously, I want nothing to do with law enforcement no. in any capacity. Oh. I do want to say this. Though. I just mean if, if they heard this episode and then we get fucking wailed on. I also think because <laughs> if we get caught by a Canadian cop, they're just going to let us go <laughs> because they don't do their jobs. Well, that's possible. That's possible. But they yeah. maybe they don't want to get off their tuchus because they're too busy watching iconic comedy such as Strange Brew oh, or watching yeah. John Candy got or Martin Mull or Kids in the Martin Mull. Yes. How can you do your cop work when you got Martin Mull right there on the TV? You got Martin Mull or, or uh, Jerry Ryan Stiles. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Stiles is Ryan. in my neighborhood. You mean to tell me I got so. to be a cop right now? I'm going over to Ryan's house and saying, surfboard, <laughs> pastry shop. <laughs> oh, you know, just see he what he does. And he, he, and he just does it. He just makes yeah. stuff up. So, oh, yeah. As far as comedy goes, Canadians. Canadians are tops, man. They're Absolutely. fucking amazing. But as far as investigation goes, they just don't seem to have the drive necessary to solve crimes. This okay. is an example. I was watching a documentary about Paul Bernardo. And one of the investigators of this, one of the main investigators, his thing that he kept saying was like, you know what we had here for a period of time in Toronto was a pouncer. Paul Bernardo <laughs> was a pouncer. He's a thing you go out there you're, and you don't care what kind of woman you are. Like you don't know if you're one, if you're a regular woman or a hot woman, right? You're walking down the street. <laughs> Paul Bernardo, he's going to, he's going to pounce on you. We got a serial pouncist. A pouncer. <laughs> he kept saying the word pouncer. I know it's like the word a is rape. Like yeah. the word is, <laughs> rape, he's a serial rapist. Rapist, rapist like, yeah. is a very you're easy word to say. You're trying to make it cute. You're trying to make it cute. It's not cute. Pouncer sounds like someone who dresses like a stuffed tiger who who, and who hides behind bushes and then and rapes people. No, <laughs> he says rare. That would be pouncer. Yeah, that's I mean, rape. <laughs> that's no. what he would say. Yes. I see Tony I see. the Tiger. Yes, I see it. I see. I see. Very see? great. Thank you, Henry. Yes. Yeah. Just 15 here. seconds free speech jail. Oh, <laughs> I was just out. <laughs> I just smell in the air. I got a hamburger. Back in. Back in, boy. We're going to be get, giving you a cup of water in an hour and a half. All right. <laughs> Let's speak into that naivete of the Canadian police force. I get that Canada is nowhere near as violent of a country as America. It's literally a that. third as violent. I was looking yes. up the murder rates and we have three times the murder rates. Yeah, have. even by, I mean, is that even by capita? It's I like, mean, it's like per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it can be hard to wrap your head around the monstrosity of people like Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. But had the cops in this case not been so lazy, because lazy is the only way to describe it, and I will prove that point Throughout at least this episode, three teenage girls would still be alive yeah. and nearly a dozen teenage girls would never have had to suffer at the hands of Paul Bernardo. Now, speaking of which, we're going to be talking a lot about sexual assault in this series, specifically in the first episode. And while I'd say that this is something we've never really done before, that's not entirely accurate. We've talked about rape quite a bit over the last 10 years, and we in fact talked about it in our last heavy hitter series. The difference is that usually, the woman dies at the end. And in the world of true crime, I think that oddly makes it easier to talk about because there isn't a survivor. Mm. See, if a victim is dead, they can be spoken of in the grandest terms. For example, if you've watched any true crime documentaries, especially recent ones, dead victims effectively become saints 
or martyrs. Well, I've never seen a true hmm. a modern true crime documentary that ever, that doesn't say that like Jennifer loves to laugh. And like <laughs> that type of thing where it's been like, well, the good thing is not me because I hate to laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but again, that is a positive step forward, yes. I think, because, of course. you know, we used to never mention the victims. And so exactly. mentioning the victims is very important to remember these are human beings. Absolutely. But survivors make people uncomfortable, as I'm sure right. many survivors listening right now can attest to. See, survival is messy and difficult and more than anything, mm. frighteningly relatable. None of us know what death is like, but many of us know trauma, and facing the survival of others makes us face our own traumas and fears in a way that facing the murder of a stranger doesn't. Also really coming to terms with the fact that the victims of sexual assault pan out from the yeah. main victim, because then yeah. it's what it does, it's the reverberation effect mm -hmm. of how it affects everybody in that person's life, and it's just causing more and more trauma and uh, and I, like, I don't know how to even put it, like just everything that's bad. Yeah, absolutely. So while we will treat the survivors of these crimes with the utmost respect, we also aren't going to shy away from the reality of these crimes any more than we do when the woman dies at the end. Therefore, fair warning, some of the crimes we discuss on this series might make you more uncomfortable than usual. It's going to get bad at one yeah. point or another. Many times it's going to get bad. But before we get to the story, let's acknowledge our sources today. The first and main source is Invisible Darkness by Stephen Williams. Ooh. The second, which also has a terrible title, I is like Lethal. <laughs> you like Invisible Darkness? It's all right. I, I kind of like Invisible like Darkness. This, then, it's, like, it, it's the same type of name as the fucking new metal band I was in in fucking high school. Unspoken <laughs> Silence. Unspoken Silence. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Invisible Darkness also makes no sense. Darkness is darkness. Look. It's not invisible. or It makes it, no sense. It, it makes okay. no sense. No, right. The second one is Lethal Marriage by Nick Prawn. That should be, a Lethal Marriage means you kill each other. Yeah. You gotta kill other people. I've also been reading a book right. called Deadly Innocence by mm -hmm. Scott Burnside and Alan Keynes. And the reason why we're doing this is because each one of these books has a different perspective. Mm. Invisible Darkness is probably the one that is the most neutral. Balanced, right, where I would say balanced. It's, it's why we're using it as our main source because it's, it's very got a balanced. lot of factoids in it, and mm. there is stuff in it. So it does create a timeline. The lethal marriage is the one that says Paul Bernardo did everything. Carla Homolka is a victim, mm. and then there's a, the, a book that I'm reading that is called. And then the book I'm reading is all about deadly innocence, which is what Paul Bernardo said about himself and included in his rap lyrics. Yes, we mm -hmm. will get to his oh rap my career. God. The he uh. It is about more so how Carla is really involved in the yeah. crimes. So we're kind of seeing where, like, because the goal is as we go through the series is really sit and like, what's our opinion about whether or not Carla was involved? I mean, you've already heard it. Yeah. We think she was. <laughs> yeah, we established that shit right up top. Now, calling Paul and Carla the Ken and Barbie killers is fairly accurate when it comes to Paul, because in addition to being charming and good looking, he was also a wannabe yuppie the kind obsessed with Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Quite simply, he was an enormously shallow monster. He mm. was ex every single bad stereotype that you see about a finance bro is Paul Bernardo. Bro, like, look, look at this super tiny phone. Opens up, it's the size of a small car. Look at this thing, man. <laughs> look how convenient this is. I can drive it. I can take this. the phone directly to the burger man because we can't legally say Burger King. I could kill somebody with this. But from what I can tell, Carla was actually more of a goth kid. 
She was a punky, pathetic edgelord who would read excerpts from American Psycho out loud to her co-workers just to get a rise out of them. Yeah, dude. Yeah, what are you going to do, man? Those who... Uh, Why do gonna do, bro? I mean, that's pretty cool, dude. You're working in Hollywood video. All of a sudden, Carla comes over, starts reading American Psycho. Yeah, it's... Like, it's all right. Again, in the beginning. It's all cool. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, you put these two together and you've got a single Israel Keys in terms of forced Ugh. edginess. Ugh. Carla is like, if there was a Wednesday Adams, what if there was a Thursday Adams? That's kind of <laughs> how I would put her. Where she is like, she's not all the way there. She is not, she is the fucking store brand version of a goth. She, mm-hmm. she is desperate for an identity. But the yeah. one thing that she always is, same thing with Paul Bernardo. Straight out the fucking pussy. Both of them are maniacal fucking goblins. And like yeah. Carla Homolka was like fucking immediately came out as this like strident, very intense uh, troublemaker. Okay. Yeah. So let's start with Carla Homolka. Carla was born the eldest of three children in a small Ontarian city named St. Catharines. Hmm. Her mother was a housewife named Dorothy and her father was a traveling salesman named Carl. Carol, Carol, and he was from the old world. Ca- yeah. Carol was a fr- I forget where he was from in Europe. He was he's one of those guys, but he's a Eastern he's got- Europe. I think it was Czech Republic. Yeah, you can just see us. I can just see him. He just got home. He put down his briefcase. You can see all the poutine leaking out the sides of it, and you just be like, "How is it today? Did you sell the poutine?" No, I, I need a gravy guard. You need a gravy guard. When he comes this. down and he brings the suitcase out and all the gravy shows up the size, everyone's been like, he comes to a meeting with no gravy guard. I know. <laughs> I know. It's not easy to ship around poutine. I shouldn't put it in plastic box. Yes. <laughs> now, Carla was a precocious child who talked early and walked early. Highly intelligent. She had an mm. IQ of 131. Wow. According to a former teacher, she was eager and enthusiastic in school, great at language arts, but terrible at math and science. Like me. Carl, just like, yeah. honestly, like all of us. Yep. Like all three of us, yeah. Carla also had a dark side, which showed itself at a very early age. A childhood friend named Rinya, who spoke to the author of Lethal Marriage, told a story about how Carla was responsible for the death of her beloved pet hamster, George. George. Poor, poor George. George is a, I don't know why for a hamster, it's definitely a hamster that's going to have a fucking bad end. (laughs) George the hamster? Something like, you give like George the hamster, it's been like, oh yeah, he was definitely put up the ass of an actor. Or it's like, you're looking like, oh George, he's been the last of his days in the calling of fucking Michael Richards. I feel like (laughs) George the hamster belongs in like, what is it, Imagination Land? Yeah. From uh, Mr. Rogers. I feel like George the That's Hamster is a lot for royal. You've been bringing king- up Mr. Rogers' imagination world a lot. I bring isn't all, that the kingdom? The isn't that the kingdom of King Friday? Yeah, kingdom of King Friday, but I think they call it Imagination Land. Imagination Land. I was too busy being raised by the streets. No, you were not. <laughs> you were raised by the treats. Yeah, <laughs> I hate you. I hate. He said I would never gain weight. That's why they fed me so much. You showed them. <laughs> Well, one day while the two kids were playing at Renya's house, Carla got the idea to construct a makeshift parachute out of a pillowcase to see if George could fly. Do you think that I can fly? This is like, it's from the good son. Yeah. Yeah. So against her friend's wishes, Carla tossed the hamster attached to her ill-constructed apparatus 
out of a second story window. Well, maybe, like, Carla, maybe we should train it or, like, try it on, like, kind of a smaller height. No, no, it don't matter unless we go for 110%. She just fucking Tom Brady's that thing off a balcony just being like, he goes with God now. (laughs) And it did work for a second. Oh, yeah, sure, that, that hesitation be like, Oh, look, and George is like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. I can see all the trees. <laughs> like, we're like, like, like a little microsecond. Yeah. yeah. But then the pillowcase soon gave way to the wind, mm. and George plummeted to his doom. <laughs> it took him two weeks to die. <laughs> what do you mean it took him two weeks? What did, what did it, they do with him? They, fuck, I guess they put him on a ventilator. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you do with a hamster that's whole innards well, are crushed, because also for two weeks you just let it twitch? At least yeah. they tried to save it, I guess. No, man, uh. there is no saving it. It's just guts. You just have to fucking... <laughs> I don't know what you do with it. Many people have had experiences like this and they become doctors. Yeah. Yeah. This is just creative in in a way. What is this, the 80s? Uh, No, this is the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. I'm I'm giving her a small pass. No, I mean, this sort of shit happens all the time with kids. Yeah, yeah. This is just one of those. It's more about her reaction. Yeah, yeah. It's usually followed with remorse. But Carla, according to Rinya, felt nothing but pure joy. Yay! That's the weird part. As soon as it plummeted to the ground, she's like, got him. That's the strange yes. part. Yes. Got it. Gravity make, wins again. <laughs> to make matters worse, Carla made her friend dig up the corpse of the hamster weeks later so yeah. Carla could fiddle with the remains. Oh, That's what's okay. weird. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah she's yeah. starting to get weird. Yeah. And this is mm-hmm. also, meantime, um, I also picked up, she used to do this thing with her girlfriends when she was in high school called Sogging, which, Sogging. Call, which stands for searching out gorgeous guys. Uh-huh. Where they would drive around and look for dudes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that was like, so she What's was doing this that? in the middle of this. You, you're allowed to do no, that. It's so funny. It's just the term sogging. I definitely sogging. thought it was involving something different. Oh, yeah, than, yeah. I definitely uh, thought it was soaking a mitten in rum and putting it up her pussy. Yes. <laughs> well, that's in high school. Right now, we're still in her fucking childhood. And even outside of Carla's casual disregard for life, she was a particularly cruel bully. In mm. another story from Rinya, Carla ripped on a handicapped girl with deformed arms in front of a bunch of other kids. Oh, how presidential. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the little girl had been wheeled out to watch the other kids play baseball. Aww. And when Carla spotted the girl, she walked up to the girl's brother and without provocation, yelled that his sister was a creepy looking freak. She's a creepy looking freak. Yeah. Jesus. She then on. took it further, slapping her arms together like a seal and making noises, saying, quote, Seal arms! Seal arms! Your sister's got seal arms! Leave her alone, come on. And this, of course, got most of the other kids clapping and laughing. Humor has changed. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, not on the playground. But Rinya was again mortified. But Rinya's story is something that we'll see again and again with both Carla and Paul. Despite the fact that they were obviously awful people, their friends kept hanging out with them no matter what they did or how they acted for reasons that I cannot fathom. Seriously, did they have a freaking Sega Genesis before everyone? Like, did they have something <laughs> that was something super cool they all like to play with? You don't remember as kids, especially as little kids, like proximity builds oh, yeah. up most of your relationship oh, with whoever is fucking near you, right? So you... You become, you have like these like little kid bonds that start when you're really young and you grow up with somebody. And I don't think that they realize like at the time too, we viewed kids as like little robots 
You know what I mean? We don't even yeah. really like. I don't even, especially like our time period. I guess like growing up in the eighties. Tell us about tell us about children, Henry. I just I'm <laughs> just saying that like they viewed them as like not having personalities that were going to go anywhere. I think, yeah. and then you don't understand that these little seeds of behavior become like permanent. Like they, it right. does happen, especially if you don't get immediately checked or somebody does some, or you learn independently that you're hurting people. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, and really, how what the reason why I'm bringing this up is that this is a microcosm of a larger problem that continues into adulthood where even after Paul like even after he was being suspected of being the Scarborough rapist his friends are like hey Paul heard you're the rapist <laughs> and they're all anyway, let's go to the bar each other like, oh yes <laughs> like don't okay. care they just don't find, I don't, maybe it's a like a, a cultural thing like a Canadian cultural thing where if you're friends with someone you're friends with someone no matter what I don't know. I just also, it's bro dudes, bro dudes being bro dudes for forever. Like it is a thing where people are willing to look over uh, these types of like, honestly, look over crimes. Because again, you know, this is a time period where they, you have to consider a woman to be a person first in order to consider it to be a crime. Those guys Mm. all became uh, absolute misogynist piece of shit. And they were like this since they were little kids. Yep. Now concerning Carla's upbringing, it was decidedly middle class. She was raised in a house with a pool. And from what she later said, her parents were always supportive and understanding. But since her father was always gone for his traveling salesman gigs, Mm -hmm. she developed a hatred for Carol instead of a longing. Mm. She became obsessed with the play Death of a Salesman and would do weird impressions of her father that combined Willie Loman with the wild and crazy guy. From the Saturday Night Live. I don't even know how you do that. That's a very sad play. <laughs> that's that's Canadian it, creativity. It's, attention must be paid. I remember that line where she screams that about because Willie Loman just died. But it's all about him slowly committing suicide by sucking gas mm-hmm. out of the burner sure. in the basement. Yeah, and then you come this, in like, I gotta move this poutine. And then you come in there going like, I'm a wild and suicidal guy. Well, that would make you kind of crazy though, wouldn't it? But Carol had his own secrets. He had a reputation for trying to sleep with women outside of his marriage, but failing every time. Why is that just the most Canadian thing? Like, just the idea of like, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm have trying. an affair here. I'm trying. No, you don't understand. I'm talking to you, but I'm trying to have an affair here. I'm trying here. <laughs> like, hey, listen. All right, now what you got to do here is what you got to do is sleep with me instead of not sleeping with me okay. so that I can be actively cheating on my wife. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, at one business where he hawked his wares, he was known as the pervert. <laughs> And he told a woman who worked there that she could save his marriage if she just had a threesome with Carol and his wife. Just have a threesome with me and my wife, and then you'll save our marriage. These Do me a solid. As you can see, I'm absolutely covered in gravy. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. When it comes down to it, I need a sponge, and I need a reach out. This yeah. is a Hail Mary here. Yeah, it is. You want to have a threesome with me and your wife, is that I've it? I've got to have it. Okay. And honestly, <laughs> we can see, even call see. it a foursome if you want to include God into the occasion. Sure, okay? and because the Putin. Because then we come to the end. The Putin, no. The Putin is the business. <laughs> I never <laughs> mixed the meat with any pleasure. Okay. Um, let's call your wife then, see if she wants to do this. Well, why don't we <laughs> well, I'm going to have sex with your wife and you, so I would like to know her. So. The whole thing is that I have to pre-sex you as an interview <laughs> oh, okay. before we can introduce you right, into just, the just phone. Give me the poutine and get out of my house, okay? <laughs> I'm going to make a sale! <laughs> you I'm going to make a sale! <laughs> you made a sale. Yes, you did. Right from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. <laughs> that was your dog. Saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's a company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. 
Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. As far as Carla's goth credentials go, she became obsessed with the occult when she was a teenager, and she would perform rituals with her Ouija board to contact spirits near that old mainstay of teenager hangouts, 
The railroad tracks outside of town. Cool. Do they have sorry as an option on the Canadian Ouija board? I don't know if they can. I don't know if they can <laughs> yes, physically no. get through it. Yes, no, and sorry. <laughs> Interestingly, though, Carla was particularly obsessed with Michelle Remembers. Oh. To refresh your memory from the last episode, this was a book of so-called recovered memories of satanic ritual abuse, none of which was true. Basically, it was the story of a woman who rewrote her own history. She was just into everything that was dark and edgy. And she was trying to show people. She was trying to, which is very classic, she was trying to cultivate personality. Mm Because as a kid, like, all you are is copies of shit that you see. So you're trying to figure out what sticks. Christopher Columbus rewrote entire swaths of history for hundreds of years. He used to have a a day named after him. I don't even think that he needed to do the rewriting. We all did it. Uh, Yeah. But just as Carla was getting into the occult, she naturally started wearing all black clothes and heavy dark makeup, cool. dyeing her hair wild colors, Whoa. and carving circles into her skin that she would subsequently fill with nail polish. Look, it's pools. I made you pools. <laughs> pools. Cool. She also started saying weird shit to her friends. On one occasion, she leaned towards a friend and whispered that she'd like to put dots all over somebody's body, take a knife, and play Connect the Dots, then pour vinegar into the wounds. Whoa, she's crazy. That's just another totally normal thought. She's just being crazy. But, you know, again, it's just her. She's an edgelord. She's like, just doing it, yeah. She's, she's a poser it. trying to figure out her shit Dude, at the time. None of this makes Carla a criminal any more than doing and saying this shit made Damien Eccles of the West Memphis Three a child killer. Sure. Kids say and do weird shit. Yeah. But the difference between Carla and Damien is that there would later be mountains of evidence to support Carla's psychopathy. Well, it's just weird to see how you can go from being a goth, because, like, you know, none of us believe that goths are evil. For the most part, goths are just sad, and we just like black. But the thing about Carla is that it is, you know, how she ended up. It does point towards all of this bullshit. I also think Mm -hmm. oftentimes goths present as sad, but in reality are quite happy. A lot of times they're Mm -hmm. very happy being sad. I've known a lot of Conversely, they're just happy Mm -hmm. to be sad. Yeah, exactly. Now, according to Carla's high school boyfriend, Doug, a working class jock, Carla was moody, obsessed with death, and would often threaten to kill herself if she didn't get her way. Hmm. In this, she showed clear signs of borderline personality disorder. Yeah, the I hate you, don't leave me scenario. Now, borderline requires quite possibly the most responsibility out of all mental illnesses. It's the capuchin monkey to bipolar disorder's destructive dog. Oh. Takes a lot of work. That's kind of cute the way you you put it, but sure. it yeah, seems like there's sure. a lot of pain in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, oh, there's a ton. Yeah, there's a ton of pain. It's it's kind of like how uh, like severe depression. It's more like a cat. Like it's maintenance. You know, you get it kind of oh. you got to take care. You got to take care of it. Bipolar you, disorder, destructive dogs. You got to keep an eye on it. Is your psychiatrist a farmer? <laughs> like, do you sit with somebody who says, "Does he show you animals? Like, is this a thing that they do?" No, 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 this is just me. This is how I think. Of it. Okay, I just didn't know. So I just didn't the know. goal is right now, see, you're a lemur. Okay? Right, you're a lemur. <laughs> and what we want to do is no. get you all the way to a cow. Because no, cows, cows are no problems. Problems. No, no problems. No, no, no. It's that your bipolar disorder is a lemur and that you want your disorder to be more of a cow. Cow. But, oh. but, I, but that's the thing is that your disorder never changes. It's the same throughout the years. But, you know, you can house train a dog, but a cappuccino well, monkey, you got to buy diapers for that. We're trying or to you, buy or you get a monkey, a monkey shit room. And if you get a monkey shit room, then your life's in shambles. It yeah. looks like you haven't been taking your medication because now it's a masturbating lemur on the subway. <laughs> and that's why we're here at Rikers, aren't we, Mr. Parks? How long have you been here, Mr. Parks? Call me Enigma. <laughs> 
Well, if kept in check, people with borderline personality disorder can live normal lives. But if it is left untreated, the consequences are dire and explosive, as they were with Carla Homolka. So when it came time to graduate, Carla put up a goth front and wrote edgy shit in her friend's yearbooks. Fuck yeah. In one inscription, she wrote, quote, Remember, suicide kicks and fasting is awesome. Bones rule. Death kicks. I love death. Kill the fucking world. I mean, she's still, you can't by definition be that goth and graduate. I, it's true, yeah. Because like if you were, if you, if you were truly goth, you would have quit school and have become a mortician. Yes. But also it is just, again, with a Canadian accent, it just takes all the heat off of everything. Yeah. Death kicks. Death yeah, kicks. De- Bones rule, guy. Bones Was- rule there. Okay. <laughs> eh? Bones rule, eh? Well, as far as taste goes, Carla's was actually better than most of the people we talk about on this show. While Israel Keys was a new metal guy, Carla was a big fan of the Beastie Boys oh. and had a particular love for the Friday the 13th franchise. They all can eventually, every serial killer has to like one good song. Yeah. 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 The Friday the 13th franchise is awesome. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Carla was the tough kid in her friend group. She was the one who carried around handcuffs and told everyone that she was going to be a cop one day. She was the bad influence who told lies about having sadistic bondage orgies in high school. Now, oddly, despite her past experiences killing defenseless animals, Carla started a career in the pet industry just before graduating from high school. She got a part-time job at a place called Number One Pet Center. Was she, uh, I also feel like there is a fascination that is attached to it. Like, I don't view her as like having those kinds of like telltale serial killer, like McDonald's triad type things. Which has been discredited. Yes. Like, but you know, that idea, like she doesn't have certain things like that, but there are, because the hamster scenario was, it was more about her fucking weird, like metal Lord, like reaction to it. She just kind of got close to the the industry of ha- handling pets. To be honest, what I think really came out of it was that she knew it was an easy way to get drugs as yeah. well. Yeah, that's what it turned into. Well, as a consequence of Carla joining the pet industry, she and her coworker Debbie were invited to a pet industry convention in Toronto oh. held at the Howard Johnson's in October of 1987. Not bad. Ooh, Howard Johnson's. I just saw a thing. It talked about how many ice cream flavors Howard Johnson started out with because everybody had three flavors of ice cream when they first started, but Howard Johnson's, they really went and made sure that they had many different types of ice the cream. The hotel did. Yep. Interesting. Well, it's a hotel, Isn't Ben. A Hojo's hotel is a hotel restaurant. restaurant. It's a Hojo's. Oh. Also, can yeah. we please go forward and make sure that we know for a fact it's called a Hojo's? Yeah, of course. No, no, no. I just wanted to say Howard Johnson's to begin with, and then it will be referred to as a Hojo's from here on out. Okay. Thank you. Thank over you. A, yeah. Well, over a dinner of grilled cheese sandwiches in the Hojo restaurant, Carla and Debbie were approached by two men in their 20s on the prowl for young girls. And it was here that Carla Hamolka met Paul Bernardo. Oh, Uh-oh. over the magical... Do you know what they were eating when they met? Grilled cheese sandwiches? Nope. It was over a endless plate of chicken wings, Ooh. which actually makes me really mad because <laughs> it makes chicken wings feature into the story. When I read that factoid yeah. saying, like, Paul specifically ordered a never-ending bucket of chicken wings, which is an incredible. Well, it That's has incredible. <laughs> it always ends. But it's like, I've never heard that. I was like, where is this deal in my life? No, it's yeah. incredible. But yeah, they, incredible. they wasted it with all okay. of this no, assault. I'll, I'll never forget when I found out that, yeah, an all-you-can-eat buffet, you are still your number one enemy because mm. yeah. you can't eat all you want. 
you can yeah. only eat what your body can hold. And the yeah. problem is, you know who the ref is, really? Who? You're duodenum. Yeah. <laughs> the very end, the top of your the upper intestine. That's the ref. He makes the calls. Okay. <laughs> well, Paul Bernardo, we're getting to Paul now. He was born on August 27th, 1962, with a huge black mark covering the left side of his face that was so terrifying to behold that his mother actually screamed in horror the first time she saw her son. The devil's mark! <laughs> but the mark was just a large transient blood clot that faded away after six weeks. Okay. Now, when it comes to nature versus nurture concerning Paul Bernardo, he seemed to have a healthy dose of both in the negative column. His legal father, Ken, was a pedophile and peeping Tom who molested his own eight-year-old daughter. And that was in addition to being a wife beater. Ken Bernardo was also uh, famous in his neighborhood for wearing a suit while mowing the lawn, right? Uh, he was one of these guys like that Howard was Unruh. like- Yes, like very similar. He was one of those guys, hyper buttoned up. Always with the slicked hair, suits all the time, emotionally distant, mm. cold man that was like a person who could not be spoken to, did not speak, he did whatever. But then no, people started noticing footprints outside of their windows at night of the young girls that lived in the various neighborhood. That's and then one girl put, like saw him. She was like, she was parked with her girlfriend outside of the Bernardo restaurant, uh, out inside of the Bernardo house. They looked and saw a man like... Like it was fucking an old timey cartoon. Yeah. Come out in his pajamas with hat. You know those pajama the hats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they have sleeping cat. The bell on the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes yeah. to the they watched him sneak out of his own house. Literally, like look around, like he was a cartoon burglar. Crawl around the neighborhood house, and they watched him. Dig, dig down in, in front of a basement window where they knew one of their girlfriends lived and oh he was watching God. her get dressed through the basement window jeez oh. but lest you think that this sort of behavior was hereditary Ken Bernardo was not Paul's real father you are not the father oh wow <laughs> Because Ken was such an awful man, Paul's mother Marilyn had an affair with a guy named Bill, and Paul was conceived through this illicit liaison on the day that JFK was shot and killed. Hey Look man, I would have fucked anybody on 9-11 if they would have had me. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Now from how it sounds, Paul Bernardo was one of those babies that can only be described as a dickhead. He wasn't affectionate at all and was described as naturally selfish and stubborn. But the one word that keeps coming up about him as a baby, beautiful. Beautiful, always. He said that, that Paul Bernardo was a one of those hyper angelic babies, born with like a full head of like blonde curls. Angelical, like angelical, babies. And you know what oh, is that what Jellical is? Is that like, is it just taken off the angelical and it's angelical you know, cats, cats? Buddy, we could do a whole eight part series on cats. <laughs> Jellical <Jellicle, laughs> cats just, just always confused me so much. Because it, it means nothing. T.S. Eliot, mean, he did, it's, a, it's poetry from T.S. Eliot. He was filled with laudanum. He had no fucking clue what he was writing about. He was just staring at cats and imagining them dancing with tits. Just like Taylor Swift was like, he saw that in his own mind back in the day, but then he oh. just wrote poems because yeah, he would yeah. save the childish cats with tits drawings for his family. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, I mean, even though he was, Paul Bernardo was an angelic baby, he also had a birth defect that fused his tongue to his palate like webbing on a duck's foot. And this caused him to communicate in grunts and points for years. But once the webbing was snipped and he was sent to a speech therapist, Paul Bernardo couldn't stop talking. By the time he reached his teenage years, 
Paul was described as a silver-tongued devil with the girls. Neat, fastidious, and of course, beautiful. Kids of all ages adored him, and they were drawn to his personality. So much so that his nickname was the King of First Impressions. Oh, that's what I called my dentist when he made my night guard. Come Whoa. on, guys. Oh, oh, come on, Put this guy on. He's on fire. He's on He's a But like Carla, Paul had a dark side. Although comparing Paul's dark side to Carla's is like comparing a shadowy room to the dark side of the fucking moon. Now, like many criminals of his ilk, Paul began with peeping. And while he was caught peeping in his teenage years... He faced no consequences. And hey man, if you be... watch the movie fucking Porky's, it's <laughs> yeah. the main, most of the main plot points peep, peeping. Same thing with fucking yeah. um, uh, the, uh, the other big Revenge famous. of the Nerds. Meatballs. Meatballs, Meatballs had peeping. Revenge yeah. of the Nerds had peeping. Yeah. Um, the so you're John Belushi you're... movie, that other movie fucking Animal had peeping. Animal House had peeping. It all had peeping. Yeah, that is true. And it's also, pa- again, we've talked about this. The word peeping is, like, I think we did this on side stories about how peeping is should no, not be the name of No, it was on the show. It was on yeah. the show. We should not call it peeping anymore. But you couldn't come up with a better... The name that you came up with was cuter than peeping. It was like Mm. snurfing or something like that. Snurfing. Yeah. Horny looking. Horny looking's fine. This is why I'm going to... All of my houses, if I ever buy a house, I'm going to have them mirrors on the outside. So if you're peeping in, you're you're going to take a look at at yourself. (laughs) And then you say, do you like what you see in the mirror? Do you like what you see, sir? That's the most passive aggressive home security thing. It's very, again, very Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul then began hoarding underwear ads featuring both prepubescent girls and adult women. And as soon as he was able, he moved on to BDSM porn and found that he was also aroused by watching urination and or defecation. Yeah, he he's a poopy man. He really likes the farts. Yes, indeed. Now, we know that Paul's father was terrible, but his mother also did her part to fuck up her son. When Paul was in 10th grade, his mother, full of anger and with no apparent motive, she stormed into his room, showed him a picture of her lover, Bill, and told Paul, this is your real father. You're a bastard and you better get used to it. She's an, I I will go far, as far as to say that his mother was an unpleasant woman. Yeah. She was very, very unpleasant. The the worst way to do what she just did there. Yeah. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. She did it as a blow up of a fight where she decided to do the scorched earth thing to like pull it out because it wasn't even a big fight. No. According to the book, uh, Deadly Innocence, it was just this kind of like building up because he kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter and kind of meaner. Like, but in, in one way, it's like that happens to teenagers. Yeah. Right? Where like they don't, they, they become ornery because yeah. their bodies are changing. But, you know, his was far worse because he's yeah. a fucking monster. But right. she d- fucking did that. And then nothing was the same. Yeah. After she okay. told him that information. Well, as the author of Invisible Darkness put it, Marilyn was by this point living like a giant troll in the basement of their house. She never fed the children and instead hid food under her own bed because her husband was constantly talking about how his family wasn't going to eat him out of house and home. The husband was... It is really weird. There's a food war going on? (laughs) It's so opposite. We actually talked about this recently, Kessel, about the idea of like, in my home growing up, the idea of running out of food was the single most embarrassing thing that could happen, right? Like, that's why it's like my mom, for the four of us, cooked for 15 people. I mean, we got huge, 
Right? Everybody got super fat. I don't know what to do because every time I'm like, oh, five people are coming over to my house to watch football. I'll be like, I better get 10 pizzas, 80 chicken wings. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know why, but it's ingrained in me. It's this yeah. thing about a sense of, I mean, it looks like, you know, uh, we're doing well. Like this is, a, uh, we're, we're, also, everything I just is want everyone here. to be, because when you see a pile of food, you see the smile on someone's face. It's, and it's better than a punchline. It's for big fatties. <laughs> for us big fatties. I uh, love seeing a pile like of food. Like, he does not care. Marcus you does not care, care about Marcus? food. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, like, we'd run out of food, like, all the time, but not because, like, we my parents couldn't afford it or because they didn't care. It was just because, like, the store was fucking 10 miles away and it closed at 4 o'clock. The I nearest supermarket was an about. hour away. But, it, but I mean, like, it, it's... And also, like, so if we didn't have food, like, it was like, ah, okay, no big deal. Like, it didn't really, it didn't really matter all that much. And, like, the, the idea of, like... Feeding for pleasure or like feeding as um, a way to show love or anything like that, or food as a way to show love, that didn't exist. For us, food was like sustenance. I'm and that was it. Called like out it and I'm care. honestly no. kind of getting very sensitive about it. <laughs> it is different. <laughs> it's a different approach. It's, it is. Yeah. But it's, it's but very good. It's, I think it's because my parents came from like, seriously, they were raised by Depression era people and then they yeah. lived through, they lived that way. But the thing about Paul Bernardo's father, Ken Bernardo, not his father, his fucking, the father that raised him, is that he was, it was about his control controlling mechanism yeah. is that he did not want anybody to spend a fucking dime and mm. so he would they would go on fancy vacations they would do certain things where but it was more about keeping up with the joneses yeah they did right. these things where he would scrimp and save because he was an accountant and he would scrimp and save and do these big outlandish things like they had like the they had brand new cars they had certain things but he did not want it to be spent on what he considered to be frivolous things like food and clothes yeah <laughs> okay Paul knew for a fact that his father snuck out of the house to peep on women, and people in the neighborhood had strong suspicions as well. But, in true Canadian fashion, the cops didn't pay any attention to these rumors because Ken was such a friendly guy. What am I gonna do? Go out there telling me we're gonna make windows illegal? <laughs> <laughs> if you're sitting there with your tits out and you got the things on there, you know when he comes and when it comes down to it, what is it? We're gonna make air illegal? <laughs> we can have a conversation with him maybe and just be like, we know I'm what a you're cop, doing I'll tell stuff. you what's illegal, which is talking to a cop while he's trying to eat. Okay. <laughs> Well, as far as Paul's motivations in life went, he believed wholeheartedly that greed was good, just like many pieces of shit who came of age in the 80s. And Paul wanted nothing more than to make as much money as possible. He hustled, working at restaurants with names like Mother's Pizza or mm. The Crockin' Block. I dislike <laughs> the name of that restaurant. I hate Crockin' Block and I hate Mother's Pizza. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mother's Taco uh, might be worse, though. Mama's <laughs> Pizza sounds nice. But there's something about no, Mother's Pizza. That's what I'm mother's, saying. Yeah. Mother's Pizza, because it sounds yeah. like you don't want to take Mother's Pizza because <laughs> if you get between Mother and her pizza, yeah. she, you're fucked. You're sad, dude. So Mother's uh, Pizza's like, Mother's got her pizza. Yeah. You're eating a salad. Father's guacamole. Oh, my God. Well, this was in addition to working jobs like newspaper delivery boy or security guard. Okay. Of course, as we know, security guard is an insanely common profession amongst power control criminals. Now, Paul kept his dark side in check, or at least hidden, for most of his teenage years. 
But according to one high school teacher, Paul's entire demeanor changed after he started hanging out with Steve, Alex, and Van, collectively known as the Smyrnis Brothers. We're the Smyrnese Brothers. It's Smyrnese. The Smyrnese Brothers also push back just slightly. Security guards are also on the front lines against ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Be very careful as a security guard. I did that show, Hidden Cameras or whatever oh, caught yes, on camera. Oh, yeah. Half of the damn thing is like a security guard just too tired. Yeah. <laughs> But they see a lot of shit, man. But honestly, though, he got a pack of goons. Yeah. And then once the pack of goons got in there, like, again, what happens with goons? If you're not going to use goons, pointing at Kissel, I noticed if you're not you going to yeah. use these goons, these goons get fucking, they get all independent. They start doing their own goony shit. You no. have to keep right. them in play. Oh, no, you have to be so extremely clear with goons. You have yes. to tell goons exactly where to be, what why to do, they're there, not, and what a, to do. A goon's going to be in the middle of the highway. This is racism. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like this is racism. <laughs> well, it's, is it really Smyrnies? I have no fucking clue, but I do like the idea of them Smyrnies. fighting for it. It's Smyrnies. <laughs> I like Smyrnus. Yes, yes. Smyrnus, I mean, it's all bad. Yeah, it's they all bad. sound like evil henchmen. Yes, they definitely do. Well, the Smyrnus brothers were petty criminals with crude, macho attitudes. Favorite thing? Their father owned a Greek restaurant, and they'd trade pizza and souvlaki for stolen gasoline and illegal fishing on private property. Very that's Canadian. All, very <laughs> Canadian, but that's kind of cute. That's kind of cute. cute. Yeah. But they, if they stopped there, it'd be very cute. Right. They did, at one point, they did exchange uh, souvlaki for gasoline, and they were doing it with a guy that was a mortician. And they would go, and like, that was the big thing, is that this mortician guy, you know, it just so, it's both, it's very mortician-y, where he's been like, you guys want to see the bodies? <laughs> and then he would go in there. They were all like, yeah, you bet. Absolutely we do. And they went in there and were like, ah, gosh, look at him. He's cold, huh? And they would go and they literally were like, he's like, look at this one. And then he would pull out another thing and they would see another dead guy. I mean, you're telling me that's not what Guy Fieri's next travel show is going to be all about? Triple C, coroners. Co I don't even figure know it what out. Coroners, cemeteries, and crab. And it's all it's seafood based around various. No, I, I love it. I, mean, uh, I, got, I, got the, I got the flow. Coroners, coffins, and crabs. That's, That's awesome. awesome. That's there awesome. it is. There it is. The Smyrnus brothers also like trolling for young girls. And from how it seems, the behavior of the Smyrnus brothers gave Paul permission to treat women like dirt. Well, they started it in their light version, right? And then yeah. Paul Bernardo like took it. Obviously, took it to one hundred and twenty percent. Well, case in point was Paul's girlfriend Jennifer Galligan, who was among the first recipients of Paul's escalating pattern of intensely violent abuse towards women. Jennifer and Paul began dating in 1986 when he was attending the University of Toronto Scarborough, and she was still in high school. She said that he was unusual, constantly twitching and sniffing and staring off into space for long periods of time for no apparent reason. That was his and private if you, behavior. If hmm. you do watch Paul Bernardo, though, I watched the, that this last uh, interview with him, and th that behavior is still kind of there. He's yeah. a weirdo, obviously. He's yeah. a fucking weird guy. Right. From what Jennifer said, Paul would always get sexually aggressive around the hours of 11, midnight, and 2 a.m. Hunger, she said, made him horny and alcohol made him violent. 
Now, Jennifer said that she had her suspicions that Paul and the Smyrnas brothers were fucking each other because they always found an excuse to get physical and push their bodies together. That's a thing with dudes that I've never understood. It's why I always had more girlfriends than mm-hmm. man friends because I never understood all the dick tapping yeah, and the grabbing. Wrestling, and wrestling each other. I'm yeah. just saying, I just never was into it. I thought it was icky, like everybody like touching wow. and grabbing wow. shit. Wow. Says a lot. Says, says a lot. A lot doesn't you, it, doesn't it, Ben? Doesn't it say a lot? Doesn't I, just, it say a lot? Not, I used to I, don't like I, I, know, I knew every one of my friends' curvatures. I <laughs> 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 used to wrestle backyard wrestling. <laughs> I just like um. I just wasn't into horseplay. Yeah. Ah. Uh, you didn't like grab ass. He couldn't. He couldn't suckle. Yeah. That's he never right. got the milk. Never got the milk from the teats, so you didn't have the muscle mass. I'm really. looking for the milk. Will someone bring me milk? Unfortunately, we have en- not enough breast milk to go around now with the LPN family. But Jennifer Galligan also based her her suspicions on you know about Paul being gay on the fact that Paul demanded anal sex. In this, she was entirely wrong. He didn't demand anal sex because he wanted to pretend her butthole belonged to a boy. He mm. preferred it because it was painful. And because mm. for some people, anal sex is humiliating. It's not well, it's for everybody. He would, bring it, he would bring it up to be shocking. And he said multiple times to his high school buddies that anal sex was the ultimate way to show domination over a woman. And he would say that anal sex, when he did it, with the way he did it, was his way of, he said, it's the only way to make a woman love you. Oh, God. All right. Very uh, in, in, intriguing indeed. If you're going to do it, please use the lubes and all of those things. Make it as pleasant as possible. Always. Yes. Because there's a lot of stuff yeah, in there. Use that can lube. Make, it's very gentle. It yeah. Yeah. If you really want to go crazy with you and really want to be safe with it, do the enemy beforehand. Get it ever. Oh get it all out. Get all the dookie out. But there's, also, there's going to be dookie. Yeah, there is. I'm sure. And that's the name of my autobiography. There's going to be dookie. <laughs> Especially since we have to take a break because Kissel's guts just went like, hey, hey. Like, I don't even know that's going to say in the show. But Kissel's literally, his, his guts made such a loud noise that he had to go empty him. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for that. Hey, you know, just trying to keep, we're trying, we're raw here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, additionally, Paul also began experimenting with a longstanding form of sexual abuse with Jennifer. Paul enjoyed inserting wine bottles into Jennifer's body just to see how far he could take it. But Jennifer, who really was a victim as opposed to Carla, she allowed it because she said she loved him. Well, she was so young. Yeah, she was in high school. And this abuse went on for a long time. On the night of her high school graduation, Paul took her in his car to a deserted location and put a rope around her neck, strangling her while he anally raped her. On another occasion, he forced her to lewdly pose naked for Polaroids, which he said he would post to her church bulletin board if she ever left him. And this also points to, because as he started to reveal to his friends, (sighs) right, because they would always have their jacular talk about Mm -hmm. women, right? And then he would say stuff like, as they would walk down the street, like, it started to escalate, where first, you know, they would talk about women, like, awfully or whatever, and then he would start to say stuff like, I see that girl over there, wouldn't it be nice if we could, like, knock her down and stick it up her ass? And they're all like, "Uh, no, no, Paul, we're not really into that. And then he would talk about, he revealed this information, that he was starting to do BDSM and all these stuff with his girlfriend, and it was the, the Smyrnies... For all of the scams that they were starting to run, right? Like, they were doing all of this shit together. They were all like, oh, that sounds rough, what you're yeah, doing yeah. there. Like, immediately, say, uh, like, he was, he showed himself to be way more aggressive than they had. They were, they were very surprised by his inner life. Now, Paul began living the yuppie dream when he was hired to accounting firm Price Waterhouse just oh. before he graduated from college in 1987. Fallen in his fucking adopted father's footsteps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even though he was on the yuppie road, Paul was always a dirtbag at heart. 
and he just couldn't help doing dirtbag shit with the Smyrnas brothers. Mm. Always running dumb scams. Always. Paul, mm. Right around the time that Paul was hired to Price Waterhouse, being paid quite a bit, mind you, he and Van Smyrnas were out and about looking for young girls in Toronto. And apparently, the local Hojo's was a prime spot for just such a goal. Get out of the Howard Johnsons. People love Howard Johnsons. Jeez. And it was on that night that Paul spotted 17-year-old Carla Homolka having a grilled cheese sandwich with her friend Debbie. Of course, that was Carla and Debbie visiting Toronto for the aforementioned pet convention. Paul and Van asked the girls if they could join them, and from what Paul and Carla both later said, it was love at first sight. And within an hour, all four of them had gone back to Carla and Debbie's room. And while Van and Debbie awkwardly sat on the couch in the tiny Hojo's room, Carla and Paul had a four-hour-long animal fuck session in the bed next to them. <laughs> it's really weird. They, they really are like the, what's their names? Uh, they the really are the Mickey and Mallory, Yeah, Mickey and Mallory Knox. They are the, that. Absolutely. They are very, very similar because yeah. the two of them, when they came together, were it, it's weird because... I don't know how to put it. I feel like the certain people, like they have this chemistry and the chemistry that some people have make you better, right? They both make you better as people or bring you really close and it's really yeah. intense, but their chemistry brought them down. Like it was this thing where they got together and it was immediately very dark. Their energy yes. was very intense. They were obsessed right. with each other. I would have mm -hmm. left at some point there. Well, I mean, Debbie my was there. were just having sex with each other in front of me. But like, I got to no. Is there any bar open? It was very Canadian because Van <laughs> kept going to Debbie like, well, should we kiss or something? And Debbie's like, I guess we could kiss. And then like they kissed one time and they weren't feeling it. And they were, and then like literally Van's like, should you think we should go? And like Debbie's like, I don't want to ruin their night. If you leave, <laughs> we'll ruin their night. And because they were like, we don't want to ruin the mood. They kept saying uh, that. They over were and over like, again. what were uh. they like? Sexy lampshades or yeah, something? They Why just were sat they there and like. <laughs> So in the water, dark, huh? they sat there in the dark. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, gum's a thing you can chew, huh? Yeah, <laughs> all right. So have you heard of the, the president? Ah, uh, well, uh, well, I just gonna... Yep. They're really mm -hmm. humping, huh? Yes, mm -hmm. indeed they are. They're going at it. I'm sure there were some pancakes or something that could have gone and eaten, but whatever. Yeah. Well, Ben hung around because it was his fantasy to have sloppy seconds. <laughs> and he openly asked Paul. Can I get hey, in there? Yeah. Get <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that's what you're done. Said. Yeah. And Paul said, no, have a go at yourself. Why don't you do it? And, and that's presumably what Van did. No, because he said, no, I love her. <laughs> like it was, it was really intense. Like, cause yeah. it is weird because I guess they sort of insinuated it was going to happen. And then Van Oh, God, with this fucking mullet. You know, he had a huge ass mullet just sure. sitting there just oh, being yeah. like, oh, so it's my turn now. And he's just like, mm, just mm -mm. been eating up. Cut to the poor person doing room service at the Hojo, just knocking on the door, opening it, and just being like, hey, you guys want? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, from what Carla later said, Paul swept her off her feet and was very nice in the beginning. But more importantly, Carla said that Paul was the first man she ever dated who wasn't a bore. He, the, fa the pattern he did with the last girl that he was with, seriously, where you love Bomber, and then mm -hmm. you slowly reveal who the hell you yeah. actually are. But Carla fucking loved that. In her past relationships, Carla could do whatever she wanted all the time. In other words, she was in control, and she found being in control to be boring. Mm -hmm. But with Paul, things got out of control very quickly, and therefore, things got very exciting 
for Carla. Now, Paul lived in a neighborhood in Toronto called Scarborough, which was a two-hour drive from St. Catharines, where Carla Homolka still lived with her parents. Because remember, Paul's 23, Carla's 17. Yes, and he did the thing, because his line was, because he's like, so you're from around here, you're around town? She's like, I live in St. Catharines. And he's just like, oh, so how am I going to see you mm-hmm. if, I can't, if I can't bump into you? But when Paul started visiting Carla at her home where she still lived with her parents, her parents fucking loved him mm-hmm. and welcomed Paul as they started calling him their weekend son. He was okay. like, this is very old school because he yeah. had a job to them outwardly, right? Handsome guy, had a job. He's here. It seems to be super serious about our daughter. It seemed to be at the time period, there was much more, it was much more acceptable for them to be like, all right, you can, ma- you can get married at 17. If yeah, you, want you can to. take care of her. You take care of her. That's mm-hmm. it. On Paul's first visit to the Yamolka home, he walked into Carla's room and saw that she had her own set of handcuffs. When he saw this, his face fucking lit up, and she immediately suggested that he use them on her, all while they dirty talked about Paul being her, quote, big bad businessman. He was like this. Oh, naughty businessman. Because <laughs> he confessed his ultimate vision in his life. That he said, as and it, this is a teenager. This is when he was like seventeen years old. Was that he would be getting blown by twenty prison imprisoned virgins? That he while he sat at a desk doing tax thing, work, like literally like being a big powerful executive. Like that was this thing that he kept saying <laughs> that he wanted to set up for his life. I'm just so happy kids want to get into like the NBA or even YouTube. Nowadays. Anything but yeah. anything yeah. but what he said. <laughs> yeah, and surprisingly, considering how fucked up their relationship would become. Carla wrote love letters and left cute little notes for Paul during their entire six-year relationship, even after they started abusing and killing teenage girls. In an example of an early note, she gave him a card with two cartoon characters in bed being leered at by two characters outside the room. Inside, it said, Roses are red, Uh violets are blue. There is nothing more fun than a pervert like you. Oh, now that is one of the sweetest shots. Can you put that on a birthday cake for me? (laughs) (laughs) How about I shit in your fucking mouth? (laughs) (laughs) The old fudge highway. Hey, man, people like to eat shit. It's cool. Drive from your grave. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST20 
24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, when Paul stayed over at Carla's house, he'd wait until everyone was asleep before going to her bedroom. But the more they had sex the longer it took for him to climax because regular sex without some sort of violation just wasn't doing it. Finally, Paul had the idea to introduce a criminal element and he began getting out of bed to sneak outside to peep into the window of Carla's little sister, Tammy, who was only 12 years old at the time. And this action was entirely known to and approved by Carla Homolka. Oh, yes. Jesus. She was already playing into this fantasy. Like, she was yeah. doing this thing, because his, again, his main fantasy was about taking the virginity for, from someone. And with him and Carla, 
obviously that that time had already passed. And Carla kind of knew instinctually like, oh, I know exactly where to go with him. Like it is, it's fucked up because she kind of completed the steps as they went. Pretty disgusting. But while Paul was driving two hours to stay with the Homolkas on the weekends, he was still in a relationship with Jennifer Galligan, although Mm. that was soon to come to a brutal, almost fatal end. On the night that Paul graduated from the University of Toronto Scarborough, he projected his own infidelities and accused Jennifer of running around on him, almost yelling in the middle of a Ramada hotel lobby that she was wandering around letting other men stick their salamis in her. That was his words, not mine. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's very, again, very Canadian. Yeah. Very Canadian, yeah. Now, she tried ignoring it and gave him a graduation gift, a nice sweater. But this gift wasn't good enough for the great Paul. He loudly lost his temper, then walked out to his car and started doing donuts in the parking lot like an asshole. Fuck you, I'm doing donuts! What does it have to do with All right, dude. I don't know, man. Okay. I, you know, we used to, that was a thing in college, too, where I had buddies that would, I remember, no, like, I'm not, I'm not yeah, against doing a fun donut, but that's, yeah. that's totally different than... But doing it for rage, a protest. Fight? I don't understand. Yeah. Well, Jennifer walked out and finally broke up with him. But even though Paul agreed to the breakup, He couldn't let her go without punishment. He insisted on driving her home, but on the way, he grabbed her by the hair and hit her at every stoplight, then drove her to a deserted parking lot with the obvious intent of stabbing her to death. But thankfully, as Paul brandished the knife, he got butterfingers and dropped his weapon between the car seats. Once the knife was gone, Jennifer escaped the car and never saw Paul Bernardo again. Oh, thank and this God was, she got out of there. Absolutely. And this was Jesus. not the first case of him hitting a girlfriend. Their previous girlfriend, he also was caught beating up in the middle of a party. He went downstairs and he was wailing on her in the basement. And again, it's the same thing where all the guys were like, Paul, you're being crazy. And then she stayed with him. That girl stayed with him for a period of time as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely fucked up. But he's slowly but surely ramping up. Meanwhile, like... All of his training that he did, because the one thing that he did through this whole time is that he was a big Amway guy, right? So he was deeply (laughs) involved in Amway. He was so deep in Amway that he started saying to the Smyrnies, hey, we need to start our own Amway. That's how we start making some money, which is (laughs) very insane. Technically, he's correct. Yeah. So with Jennifer out of the picture, Paul and Carla's relationship got taken to the next level. Carla became obsessed and began encouraging Paul's more violent sexual impulses, telling him in one letter to rip off her clothes and ravish her like a beast. But at the same time, she'd also include lovey-dovey cliches like take it, don't break it, and hugs and kisses. I mean, you know, you got to mix it up. All of that is fine with a consensual, healthy adult relationship. I just feel like they are not that. Obviously nothing wrong with dirty talk about ripping off clothes and ravishing. Nothing wrong with hugs and kisses. But it was obvious that Paul's sexual desires were undoubtedly criminal. Especially because they weren't together that long and he's already escalating. Like, And again, it's not just about tying somebody up and spanking him or even like intense BDSM play. Like, It's not about like that type of thing that you build a relationship over time and trust and all that shit. He just immediately went to yeah. hyper-violence. Mm-hmm. For example, one night during a bout of consensual sexual bondage, Paul asked Carla what she would think if she found out that he was a rapist and without missing a beat, she said she thought it would be cool. And so soon after, Paul became the Scarborough rapist. Oh, my God. I do believe he was already on the way. But yeah, it is was. weird how he absolutely was. 
Carla Homolka kind of gave him a little bit of fuel. Like they did this thing where it's like, there was something about how like I got my main chick is so fucked up. I can yeah. do whatever I want. And it's, it's weird. It gave him like a freedom almost. It did. I mean, I wouldn't say that she gave him permission no. necessarily because he was, as we'll get into later, he'd already started ramping up by the time they had this conversation. Yes. Uh, but it definitely made it more, I think it did make it more intense. Like mm -hmm. her being there did make him more intense. Now, from what we know, Paul Bernardo was responsible for 13 rapes and six attempted rapes between 1987 and 1990. But what we also know about rape is that the majority of cases are never reported. That means that Paul's numbers are probably far higher. And it's here, at this point in the episode, that things are about to get really bad. See, the Scarborough rapist cases were able to be linked because Paul Bernardo had a very specific M.O. and a very specific victim type. Paul would sneak up behind teenage girls at bus stops late at night and drag them between two houses. He would then rape them for hours sometimes talking the entire time and making the teenagers either talk dirty or say things associated with good feelings like I love you or Merry Christmas. The Merry Christmas thing is the thing that I don't particularly understand and that comes mm. up again and again and again and I don't know why. Well, I think the reason why he said things like Merry Christmas and I love you or made the girls say things like Merry Christmas and I love you is because he wanted to attach. He wanted to pervert everything. He wanted to attach bad feelings to good phrases and yeah. he wanted mm. to attach them to phrases that the girls would hear all the time. Super he wanted common. Super common. He wanted every single time that girl heard Merry Christmas, he wanted her to think of him and what he had done to her. Yeah. And that's the thing about the serial rapist specifically, I think, is that it is about that. It's it's creating lasting trauma. Mm -hmm. It's this thing where it's like, because then as you'll see, he will also escalate those where he'll keep coming back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really sad. It's a, it's a form of marketing, which he probably learned in school. Yeah. Because how many times do you say... Can you hear me now? Yeah. And then your brain is like sprint and you're like, God damn it. Fuck. They got me again. God damn it. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that's a technique that that is taught in schools as far as how to earworm somebody. Quite possibly. On December 16th, Paul Bernardo snuck up behind a 15 year old girl outside of a bus stop late at night and put a gloved hand over her mouth, then dragged her between two houses before he showed her his knife. Jesus, this is the this is the horror cliche. Yes. No, I mean, this it is really so is. scary. For an hour and a half. With a coaxial cable wrapped around her neck, he raped her while talking endlessly, forcing her to tell her that she loved him, torturing her both mentally and physically. He then told her that he didn't care if she told the police, because if she did, it would only humiliate her, and her friends would thereafter make fun of her, and her boyfriend wouldn't like her anymore. When Paul was done, he made the girl hide under a nearby trailer and count slowly for 20 seconds before she could get up again. By the time she got off the ground, Paul Bernardo was long gone. And most arrogantly, Paul hadn't even bothered to hide his face. And what's so sad about that is he wasn't necessarily wrong. No, it's fucked because up. Because victim shaming is so real. Obviously yeah. not nearly oh, no. the same scale, but you look at like a Monica Lewinsky, her life was ruined uh, because of the actions of the, uh, of the early 90s, yeah, mid, mid 90s. But it's just, it's so sad that like when he said that to her, she probably agreed with him because that was the societal standard. And then mm -hmm. the cops will, again, uh, they will make sure that they know this, that yeah. they will make sure the women know this because these uh, rape kits that will go off after this oh, my. Will Gosh. sit and gather dust mm -hmm. for years until yeah. later <sighs> on. Yeah. Um, but Paul, like, that's the thing too. Not wearing a mask, 
like this is where I said before he's quote unquote cunning, like in terms of as a, as a predator, but he's also massively fucking stupid because the main hole that he has, which all narcissists, sadistic narcissists have is that ego hole. Cause yeah. there is this mm-hmm. thing thing because he wanted them to see his face, he wanted yes. them to see his face. And he also kind of felt like a lot of people that are sadistic narcissists, that level, they kind of believe that I'll just walk. Yeah. Like right. no one will ever catch me. Mm-hmm. I'm invisible. I'm so good. Yeah, and if they do catch me, I can talk my way out of it. Now, like a serial killer, Paul had escalated his behavior before this attack. The previous summer, he'd accosted and fondled three women. And we know that it was Paul because the MO and the descriptors were the same. The rapist those women described was a well-groomed young man with good teeth who talked through the assault and wanted to hear specific things in return. And incredibly, Paul never wore a mask or tried to hide his face in any way during the hours that he spent committing these crimes. And because of this, the fifth victim, a 17-year-old, was able to give a spot-on description of her attacker. He would also do fake-out leaves. Like, mm-hmm. he would do this thing where he'd leave and come back and leave and come back. Mm-hmm. And again, like, that shows, like, he was yeah. just a torturer. And this really just yeah. showed, that's why, in my mind, it, again, he was just steps away from being a serial killer. Like, he was just looking for what? He was going to be the key, like waiting Maybe. for somebody, I guess, to freak out on him in a certain way, because what do we know about serial killers? They need to give themselves permission vis-a-vis yeah. like something like the some kind of natural thing where they said I had to kill this person. Right. Well, this girl said that her attacker was a white six foot tall man weighing 180 pounds with light brown, almost blondish hair, clean shaven with a mole under his nose. He was wearing a gold ring with three diamonds on one hand and a skull ring on the other. Lastly, he drove a white Ford Capri and carried his knife in a leather case. Furthermore, the girls who had been assaulted knew his face well enough that a composite sketch could be done. And that composite sketch looked exactly like Paul Bernardo. So kids exactly. close, they got him. Oh, yeah, that's they it. got Done. him. And that's end the, the end story. of the episode. That's the end well, of the whole damn thing. But Paul Bernardo, <laughs> like, of his his fucking, like, witness, like, picture, whatever it is, the fucking, uh, the uh, composite sketch, of all of the serial killers that we have covered and last podcast on the left, it was identical. Like, it was his face. Like, yeah. they yeah. nailed it. But it's so much more psychologically traumatizing, too, to go to the police, do everything right. The fact that she remembered yes. almost like Ace Ventura-esque level of detective work uh, with the, with the <laughs> things in the race. Yeah. Oh, just... I'm glad Ace Ventura got into the conversation right now. <laughs> I'm glad that he's here. But it is just so demoralizing when you go through all the steps and you tell the cops everything and they still don't do anything. No, it's brutal. It, it, just, it's, it's just, it makes you feel like nothing. I mean, if you want to hear the biggest fucking injustice, this composite sketch was not released to the public because oh investigators God. believed that if the picture of this all-Canadian boy got out, mothers, wives, and sisters would point their fingers at sons, husbands, and brothers. What? And we can't, and we can't have all that hubbub now, can we? What this are you is, talking dude, about? This is what we mean. This is what we're talking about. It's this type of shit. It happens again and again because they're just like, we don't want to get anybody in a tizzy. You don't, yeah. you don't just arrest anyone. You arrest the person who did it. It's also, it looked like Paul Bernardo. It yeah. didn't look like every oh Canadian. God. It looked like Paul Bernardo. <laughs> right. Well, in addition, Paul's ex-girlfriend, Jennifer Galligan, she met with a police sergeant on New Year's Eve 1988 to specifically talk about Paul Bernardo. She detailed his various sexual assaults, his extreme sexual violence, and his attempted murder. But Paul's violent crimes weren't why Jennifer had shown up to the police station that night. Instead, she was there because Paul still owed her two grand. 
and the checks he'd already written to her had bounced. Because he also was in the middle of his fucking check writing uh, scam oh system that he was mm-hmm. doing because he got a he got one of those old school like I forget how it was. It was like he could make it look like official business checks. Yeah. It's like machine. Yeah, and then that's yeah. what they were doing all over town. They were writing bad checks. Nevertheless, the sergeant still took note of Paul's sexual crimes. He did the right thing here. He wrote a five-page report comparing Bernardo's assaults on Jennifer to the ongoing Scarborough rapist case, noting that Paul Bernardo also drove a white Ford Capri. You this fucking... is great. Dots are being connected. Nothing. Uh-huh. Nothing. Okay. But in a moment of sheer incompetence, the sergeant misstated the report to January 5th 1987, not January 5th, 1988. Like it was what? a fucking rent yeah. check. What? Yep. Therefore, we got the year wrong? Yep. Because it was January 5th. He'd been, I mean, he'd been, uh, you've been doing that. You do that. So every time January oh, comes see. along in the yeah. rent check, you yeah. always it's write January 5th. 87. Yeah, he fucked up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I understand the new year has had. Okay. Yeah. Fine. And therefore, the report was misfiled and lost for two years. Oh, my God. Okay. Paul, of course, raped another woman soon after. And another composite sketch was drawn up that looked just like every sketch done before. But all the police did was arrest a courier who kind of looked like Paul. You need to be driving a car. (laughs) All right? That's your first crime right here. Driving a bike? What is this? San Francisco? (laughs) Meanwhile, Carla and Paul were getting more serious. For Christmas 1987, Paul gave Carla a $300 dress, a gold necklace, and an expensive teddy bear that she named Bunky. Oh, the things that Bunky will see. Oh, my God. In exchange, Carla gave Paul a love coupon. That said, quote, Upon presentation of this coupon, Carla Leanne Homolka will perform sick, perverted acts upon Paul Kenneth Bernardo. These acts may be chosen by the recipient of the coupon. This coupon expires January 2nd, 1988. So... Better get it in me. Yeah, a year, I guess. <laughs> then Carla upped the ante by implying that other girls could be involved in Paul's violent sexual urges. On Valentine's Day 1988, Carla gave him another coupon. But this one was for one cute little blonde 17-year-old girl <sighs> to be put on her knees between Paul's legs to pleasure him as he'd never been pleasured before. Yeah, man, she was getting off on this whole fucking thing. Right. I mean, the first yeah. one's kind of cute, you know? Mm-hmm. Little, you got a coupon sure, for Bud. And I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah. thanks for yeah, the that's Bud coupon. And technically, nice. and again, just, if he wasn't uh, a Scarborough rapist, it could also be normal. It would be normal if they wanted to include somebody else in the relationship. I mean, not a 17-year-old, of course, but... I mean, yeah. and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Carla was the one that pushed Paul into these crimes. Paul would have been a fucking criminal even without was. Carla Homolka. He yeah. already was. Right. Uh, but it's kind of the difference between a tropical storm and a hurricane. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's with Carla Homolka, it became a fucking hurricane. Because right. he had this like fucked up base. Yeah. Where it's like his home level, like with the idea of like he didn't... It's, it's not like, you know, all the other serial killers like Jerry Brudos or all this type of people that have like a quote unquote normal wife where they live like one life and then they live mm. another. His life was directly intertwined. Like who, right. he didn't have to compartmentalize at all. Like weirdly, he had this freedom to do whatever he wanted and kind of like I think that made him really like I, I don't know what it is it inspired him at least I'm not lying to my wife yes it's weird because it's also a thing he gets hung up later on where he's been like you called me a liar I'm and not he, a liar he hates being called a liar this whole thing about being like you are a liar like yeah. Marty McFly doesn't like to be called a chicken yes mm-hmm. well this is right around the time that Paul requested Carla 
give his penis a nickname. And out of everything. <laughs> you can't do that. That is out of Seinfeld. We learned this from George T-Bone. I'm going to go up to T-Bone to lunch. No, they're going to call you something. You cannot request no, a nickname to be Coco. bestowed That's upon it. you. No. <laughs> and out of everything she could have picked, she chose Snuffles. Mm. <laughs> I think it's from Snuffleupagus. It could be. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, that guess is my, so. I do believe that. It's yes. a, fla- a bit of a I flattering just, nickname. No, it is not a flattering nickname. I mean, it's an elephant's trunk, but it does sound, <laughs> Snuffles also does sound like a a janitor at a bad school. I mean, it sounds like it sneezes, but it, it needs Kleenex all the time. Well, it does. Supposed to, uh, all right, never mind. It makes sense. Now it checks out. And disgustingly... Snuffles, that nickname, would be used even during their most depraved sexual crimes. Yeah, it gets real sinister real fast with Snuffles. Late that summer, Carla and Paul began making their infamous sex tapes, starting during a vacation to Walt Disney World in Florida. Because, perhaps not surprisingly, I don't know what this says, Paul fucking loved Florida. That you just, I'm going to put it this way. Canadians love Florida. Uh, That's the yeah. truth. They yeah. love Florida. They're called Just snowbirds. A, and, yeah. and also uh, British people, the Englishmen, also fucking love adore Florida. Florida. Yeah. Florida I like Florida. Florida I technically Florida. is very nice. It's a great place. On that first video, Carla and Paul somewhat innocently pranced around half naked in Mickey Mouse hats. You know, oh. the kind with the ears. It's sure. fun. That's, That's the thing fun. with, that, with these yeah, two. Is like, technically everything almost starts like off as fun. Yeah. But before long... They, get, they graduated to taking Polaroids during anal sex, blowjobs, and the aforementioned wine bottle insertion, which Carla was all too happy to do. Oh, damn. Now, as far as we know, Paul laid low with the criminal behavior during the spring and summer of 1989, but on August 15th, he resumed his spree by pulling a girl off the street and doing the exact same thing he'd done so many times before. And amazingly, it was around this time that Paul was actually recognized by one of his Price Waterhouse co-workers while he was watching a bus stop waiting for a victim. Oh my a God. woman named Suzanne approached Paul at work one day and told him that she'd seen him lurking behind the bus stop the night before. What are you doing car. lurking? Why are you lurking all night? <laughs> Dude, what is he? Why are you doing your lur- uh. you're lurking? Come on now. She told him that she'd pulled up next to him and waved, but he was staring so intently at the bus stop that he never noticed. I don't want to interrupt your lurking, but I know <laughs> yeah. you're doing it, but when it comes down to it, you know, like, I guess you're, you're free to lurk if that's what you do. It's, yeah. I, you know, it's, it, I guess it can be fun. You can learn all the schedules of the bus. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's true. Now, even though the sketch of the Scarborough rapist wasn't released by this point, the Scarborough rapist was a known quantity to the public. They knew the MO. They knew that there was a guy kidnapping fucking teenage girls out from of bus, bus stops. stops from bus stops late at night. And had that sketch been released, Suzanne might have put two and two together. But instead of calling the cops about this guy staring at bus stops, Suzanne merely joked to Paul, oh gosh, you must be the Scarborough rapist, aren't you? Ooh, oh, man, not this a can- funny joke. Yeah. But Paul got uncomfortable, told her she shouldn't say things like that to people. So, Suzanne just dropped it. Now, the lead investigator in the Scarborough Rapist case was a detective with the unfortunate name of Steve Irwin. (laughs) (laughs) But this one lived. Yes, well, yeah. uh, Crocodile hunter. Mm -hmm. You're right. He did not hunt crocodiles. He saved crocodiles. And Steve Irwin was very good for the uh, um, ecology of the world. And he got taken down by a goddamn manta ray. Mm -hmm. Very sad. Well, in an echo of what we've seen in Canadian investigations time and again, Detective Irwin was a master at shuffling his feet. Oh, come on. 
in November don't of 19- Don't they want the credit of capturing this psychopath? They don't, they're trying they to don't get care. to the accolades they're of like, this is how you become a goat. to get this- to their cottages. They're trying to get <laughs> you to their fishing retreats. They will have a bonus. People will love you. They'll they're, be like, thank you for catching this monster. They just want to be done. They I want their care. day to be done. When they're done with their day, they go home. They don't think about work. These aren't like- Old school detectives that are out there shredding, fretting all day long, trying to catch fucking people. These guys are, they're done. They clock out. Oh, yeah. it's just another tough day of work here. He takes a shot of maple syrup. <laughs> oh, that's racist. That was. That is racist. It's Canadianist. Yeah. yeah. No, we love now, the Canadian people. And maple I mean, syrup. I, I'm told, I am sure that there are some badass Canadian cops out there. There I'm must sure. be. There has, there, to have be. To, there has to be. The Mounties. You know, they, they actually have a reputation for being really fucking good at what they do. They always um, get their man. Yeah, but detectives, these detectives, these Toronto detectives. This wasn't like this was a small city. This was fucking Toronto. Toronto. Yep. Toronto. Right. It's a big fucking city. awful. <sighs> In November of 1989, the Scarborough rapist struck for the 12th time. And these rapes have been occurring for 2 years. And every time, the description and composite were exactly the same. And so it was with the 12th victim the detective Irwin figured they might as well form some kind of task force. Oh I, you my know, God. I actually am starting to think we need to look into this. It turns <laughs> out they don't just get tired. Like, I thought he was just going to go to bed. My thing, honestly, is like, <laughs> you know, after like 10, I figure ah, he's done. Double digits. <laughs> yeah. He's done. He's got to have it out digits. of his system. Because tell me, how many, I can't even go to that many live baseball games. Like, right. <laughs> like you're thinking that's an enjoyable activity. You know, I guess we better nip this in the bud. Oh, my God. The bud. This thing is flowered out into a horrible torture tree. Yeah. Meanwhile, Carla and Paul were sinking deeper into dirtbag territory. Paul attended Carla's senior prom. And in the middle of celebrations, Carla sucker punched her ex-boyfriend, Doug. Fuck you, Doug. (laughs) I got you, Doug. (laughs) A melee ensued and a bunch of high school kids beat the shit out of Paul Bernardo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. After graduation, for reasons unknown... Carla took an amputated puppy tail from her job at number one pet center and mailed it to her friend, Debbie. Ah. Don't know why. I don't know. What? I guess just to prove just how fucking out there she was. I, oh, I guess right. she sent her Come a th- on. she sent her a third of a boy. Yeah. What? Oh, uh, snips and snails and puppy dog tails. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. that's fun. That's cute. That's cute. That's sure. very cute. It's cute. It's long as it away. Well, soon after. Carla left her job at number one pet center and got hired at the Martindale Animal Clinic as a health technician. There, she got very familiar with the ins and outs of surgical procedures on flesh and blood creatures. Is she and the Harold Shipman of, of uh, what? Of pets? Taking, what's the no, name? No, she's of, never killed any pets. As far no. as we know, we don't know what no, she did. No, she doesn't there. kill any pets. It's just that what a crime that we'll get to uh, either in part two or part three, how they deal with the crime. One of them has knowledge of oh, cutting yes. and slicing. Definitely. It was around this time that Carla Homolka also began participating in Paul's crimes. On December 21st, 1989, Paul struck again. But this time, a woman was there, videotaping the whole thing. And perhaps because Carla was acting as the audience, Paul viciously beat this victim as well, which added something new to the M.O., Now, Carla was obviously turned on by this type of behavior because her favorite movie was Criminal Law starring Kevin Bacon. What? That's (laughs) very niche. Yeah. In this film, 
Bacon plays a wealthy serial rapist and murderer who stuffs disposable diapers in the victim's mouths and strangles them before lighting their genitals on fire to destroy the evidence. And Kevin if you Bacon just, from Footloose? And if you just like that movie, <sighs> that's totally fine. Yeah, it's sure. even fine if you love that movie. But Footloose. if it's your favorite movie <laughs> yeah. that you watch over and over again... That's something else altogether. Yeah, yeah. man. I That's just, foot tight. Man, I gotta <laughs> say, I've been re-watching uh, the original Friday the 13th. It's just been on TV nonstop, so I've just watched it in like four parts. Mm-hmm. But uh, Kevin Bacon's role is amazing. And mm-hmm. I forget all of the um, all of the foreshadowing to the fact that it is indeed Jason's mother. Also, yeah. Kevin Bacon's one degree one, away from Paul Bernardo. Yeah. No, Tech. Paul Bernardo never knew Kevin Bacon. Mm. Yeah, you got to know him or work with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. But that's his death was really works. cool in that movie. Yeah. And yeah, because if it was just like everyone who liked a Kevin Bacon movie was one We'd degree away from him, that everyone would be, in the world <laughs> would be one degree from Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and really, Carla's attraction to Paul had to be the violence because it sure as hell wasn't the money. By spring of 1990, Paul had quit his job at Price Waterhouse to start a business with a co worker. Their scheme? Worm picking. Gotta get into worms. <laughs> Wait, That's where the money is. Is he freaking Jim Carrey from yeah. Dumb and Dumber driving a limousine? I got, got worms. worms. That's what we're gonna call it. What the? What? Okay, go on, please. I need to know. Well, these two accountants went in together on a full-size GMC van to transport worms that they would pick out of the ground. But they didn't pick them themselves. No, they got no. fishermen. To sell them the worms at a lower price, and <laughs> yeah. then they would sell the buckets of worms to other people at a higher price, at a markup. Okay, Paul, hear me out now. You see that desk you're sitting at there? How boring is this, right? I fucking hate, I'll tell you what, honestly, I hate sitting in a chair. I hate the free stuff. I hate all the money I'm making. I really hate making six figures. Smell my hand. Smells like dirt, right? Yeah, it does. That's called money. Oh, and I've been digging for worms all night long. Oh, wait a second. That's what's in your pockets, and that's why they're moving? <laughs> it's worms. Holy shit. That's right. Worms are money. Worm worm (laughs) money now, baby. Well, by their estimate, they could clear 10,000 worms a night. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's a lot of worms. That's a lot of worm. And that nets $1,000 a week. 10,000 worms (laughs) equals (laughs) $1,000. Wow. But when the weather turned and it rained every night for almost a month, the plan fell apart and Pulse had to sell the van. The profit margin was destroyed. I never knew they could drown. I, I'm honestly, sorry about that, Paul. I didn't know they could drown. I, you know what? I don't blame you. I blame fucking clouds. <laughs> I blame clouds and I blame worms for being pussies. Speaking of which, what do you, you look at that cloud up there. What do you see? I see a man riding a cowboy up there. Riding, riding a, literally a man riding a cowboy. Isn't that kind of fun to think about? I see mm-hmm. a woman splayed out on a bed, her guts torn from inside of her. And actually, and I'm on top of it, whispering inside of her ears, wondering what it's like to be a corpse. <sighs> Well, no, the guy on top actually had the cowboy hat on. By <laughs> the cloud that I saw, two people kind of riding each other. But instead of going back to accounting after worm picking failed, Paul began a career that he'd pursue until he was finally arrested for his sexual crimes. Paul became a cigarette smuggler, taking contraband Canadian cigarettes over the border to sell in the United States. It's honest. Dishonest money. That's the whole thing is there. It's hard to do and it's illegal, yeah. but it's money. Okay. It was, didn't pay bad. I mean, it was 65 grand a year. I mean, you could that's do worse. That's not enough money. That is yeah. not enough I money mean, to be a smuggler. 1980s money. That's really not bad. I guess yeah. so. It's good money. But Paul also wanted something to feed his ever increasing ego. 
He became obsessed with motivational speaker Tony Robbins, not because he liked what Robbins had to say, but because Paul believed he could make it big as a motivational speaker himself. I don't think so, Paul. I don't think so. He ordered every motivational tape he could find, usually from ads in a magazine called Success. Success. <laughs> Paul's plan was to cobble together his own philosophy by stealing bits from a bunch of other motivational tapes. And when this proved too difficult, he also gave up on this scheme. This is what we he mean. He couldn't even plagiarize? He yeah, couldn't be lazy for that? This is what we mean when we say that Paul Bernardo was every finance bro fucking cliche wrapped up into one and he's always been like this. Because it started with Amway where he got it deep into Amway with the Smyrnies, right? And they were doing all of this shit, but they, when it came down to it, they had a hard time selling Amway because everybody they knew was super poor, right? Like yeah. they couldn't fucking figure it out. They couldn't move it. But then they started saying, we should start our own Amway, right? We're more of a scam way, right? Like we'll do it like this. But when it comes down to it, they didn't have the discipline to put together the system. So right? his ideas are tobacco smuggling, I got worms, and scam way. <laughs> and he also, he started getting really into evangelical Christianity because oh, there was a of period course. of time where he got into these mega churches where he'd go to these mega churches and <laughs> which seems to be so on the nose. I want to punch myself in the face right. where he looked at these preachers and he's like, I can learn how to talk the talk. I'll be making fucking $600,000 a year. I can just learn this whole Christianity fucking bullshit. Yeah. I'll fucking wrap it up. I'll be one of these guys. But again, he was like, this sucks. And that's why of yeah. course we need to see the movie <laughs> Warnke. Versus Bernardo. Oh, God. <laughs> Bernardo technically would have stabbed Mike Warnke to death. I think Warnke was probably a butter, better public speaker. I mean, Paul Bernardo followed the track because Amway and evangelical Christianity go together like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, yeah, it's buddy. It's almost like there's a susceptible group of people who might fall trap but he into kept, those mm -hmm. scenarios. He was obsessed with this and like making any sort of what he called easy money. But yeah. again, what do we know about scams, man? They're so much harder than so getting a much job. More difficult. Like, just fucking get a job if you want money. If you're running scams, it's very difficult. There's a great, I'm sure everyone read Freakonomics, but they talk about that. And there's very little money in, in scams. Scam. Very yeah. little. Well, meanwhile, Not to mention the, the stress. Yeah. yeah. Well, meanwhile, the attacks on women in Scarborough continued. In May of 1990, Paul struck again. And it was at this point that the task force decided that maybe they'd better let the public know what this guy looked like. Yeah. Hey, no, listen, hey, hey, it's listen, been Greg. three years. Oh, I God. actually have a better idea. I have a yeah. better idea. What if we just show half the picture, right? And then make it a contest that people can draw draw what they think the other half is and send it in. And if they're right, wow. we will give them, I don't know. Ten dollars. Wow. <laughs> Let's give them ten dollars. That sounds so good. That's fair. That's, That's fair. fair. That's that fair. fair. <laughs> I'm not sorry about that. Uh, that's the thing. If the public had known that the police knew what the Scarborough rapists looked like, if they knew that they were in possession of a composite sketch for three years. It's freaking criminal that they did not release this sketch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The public might have a problem with that. Oh, and guess what? Also, I mean, <sighs> none of the rape kits were being processed in any way, shape, or form. No, <laughs> they were doing them and then they just went away. I mean, that's a thing that in, also in America we are now dealing with as these no. piles of these rape kits that they just won't to put the resources towards to fucking get out the door. Like they have to process all of this shit. So mm -hmm. there's no DNA evidence and they got it all. They have the DNA evidence. They have well, all this shit, which we'll find out later. Yeah, the, well, the, yeah, the DNA evidence is, uh, at this point, it, this is 1990. This yeah. is very early. This is very early days for DNA evidence. Can we trust it? A lot of those, yeah, a lot yeah. of those questions. Yeah. So, the police, instead of admitting, like, yeah, we've had this composite sketch for three years, 
they just lied. And they said that the victim that was attacked on May of 1990, they just said, oh, yeah, this is the first uh, woman to get a good look at this guy. Oh, it man. is it really so is stupid. And it gets worse, Kessel. The next episode, it actually get, it gets worse yeah. than this. It is just like... It, it gets worse like in had, this episode. You yes. had two pairs of gloves this whole time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it literally <laughs> is like, really? You guys knew this this whole time? Yeah. And of course, once the sketch was released... Everyone at Price Waterhouse said, oh, fuck, that's Paul. That's Paul. Oh, my God. Yeah. And even an employee at Paul's bank thought, holy shit, that's that dude, Paul. You should see the picture. It's Paul. Right. Yeah. Furthermore, around this time, a woman went to the Scarborough Police Department and told them that a man named Paul Bernardo was following her and had written her a threatening letter. With that, the cops said, oh, Paul's just a lovesick fella. We don't what need to investigate f- that. I just I see nothing. Hey, All right. Well, that's just, great. It's cool. At the yeah. same time, the bank employee who recognized Paul called Detective Irwin and said, hey, I know a guy who looks exactly like that rapist sketch. And a nurse also reported that a guy named Paul Bernardo had gotten her drunk and tried to rape her. Because he told her her name. Like he literally just was operating in plain sight. Paul had even been on the suspect list for another rape outside of the Scarborough rapist rapes, but he'd never even been interviewed. In fact, instead of going after Paul, Detective Irwin went for one of the Smyrnas brothers because Alex Smyrnas had actually dated the nurse that Paul had tried raping. Why did they think Paul was this wonderful, charming person? We'll get, to that, get, into this? We'll get okay. to that here in a second. But Alex was not loyal in the least. And very quickly spilled the beans on Paul. So you had one of Paul's closest friends saying, Paul is domineering. Paul likes anal sex. Paul picks up young girls and rapes them. Yeah, he said That's it. That's the problem. He yes, said, he it. said and, the words. He, he said, Paul and I raped a girl together in Florida. He told the cops this explicitly. What was even more flabbergasting is that Alex Smyrnas told cops, Paul drives a 1980 white Ford Capri. And Detective Irwin was also finally in possession of the file connecting Paul to the Scarborough rapist case. They finally found it after two years. But despite this overwhelming mountain of evidence, Detective Irwin didn't get around to interviewing Paul for another two months. And once he finally got in the box with what was obviously their best suspect, Paul told him, I don't need to rape women. Because I got a lot of girlfriends. And since Paul was a good-looking and charming guy, Detective Irwin said, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just let him go after 45 minutes. That is such an egotistical, sociological, or, or soci- you sociopathic. You look like a rapist, because that's what yeah. it is. They, I, they why would I need to do that? You'll be like, you don't oh look like one, God. and that's it. You're done. Like you Because yeah. it's this weird thing. Oh, we're going to get into it more next episode. But it's just this idea of cops are almost like impressed and have a crush these on Paul cops, Bernardo. These yes. cops. Yeah. And as a result of Paul being let go, after 45 minutes, more women will be 45 minutes? 45 minutes. That's as long as they talk to him. 45 <laughs> minutes. Oh, they just well, I gotta Christ. get out of here, you know. You know, Martin Mole is going to be on TV. <laughs> I actually gotta get, I gotta get to my television because Martin oh. Mole is there and I don't mull about. When Martin Mole's on the screen. Well, you gotta go then. <laughs> oh, this is around the time that Kids in the Hall are getting going. Like, oh, he wasn't watching old no. comedy. <laughs> kids in the Hall, fantastic. Love those guys. Well, as a result of these cops just letting Paul go, more women would be raped and three teenagers would end up dead. And that's where we'll pick back up for part two 
of Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. Not uh, at all upsetting. Well, it is extremely upsetting. <laughs> and honestly, thank you to all the hardworking members of law enforcement. Yes. Who, um, who do their jobs. Who do their jobs. Yeah. Because yeah. this is where when we talk about police reform and all of those things, this is one of those areas where thank you for what you do because you you do protect and save lives in these cases. Well, and, you just uh, have to look at the shit and hopefully more and more people look at these types of examples and just yeah. show like you got to put in extra hours and sometimes you and you have to dig and you have to go after these people, especially if they, quote unquote, don't look like a rapist. Oh my yeah. Goodness. I anyway. mean, and there's a middle ground between like the American model of find a suspect as soon as possible and arrest him and nail him to a the wall. The first one, dude. Yeah. Yeah. With the least amount of evidence. Right. Of course. And the Canadian model this that we've seen here, uh, which is I'll get around to it someday. Absolutely. Like it's not that important. There are two. There are two. A, there is a middle, middle ground between these two. Yeah. I'd say right, probably everyone. the Germans. They probably do. They, that's probably their middle ground. All right. Well, All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're back in, buddy. We're doing it's, it. It's, it's spooky season. It is indeed spooky season. Hope everyone's having a fantastic October um, so far. Email us at sidestorieslpotl at gmail.com to submit stories for yes. listener pasta, which we shall be doing on Side Stories, I think about two weeks, the week before Halloween. Something and like then old Marcus Parks is going to join <laughs> yes, Side Stories for a spooky episode on yeah. our Halloween week. I'm very excited for it. We're going to get him. Go get him. Oh, you gonna get me? Oh, you gonna get me? He gonna get him. We're gonna talk about pumpkins, maybe. Yeah, man, that's gonna be a fascinating episode. Can we just talk about the history of pumpkins? Well, when did the pumpkin become the hero of harvest? Can we possibly talk about the pumpkin spice muffin that's being sold at the new coffee shop around the corner? It's wonderful. I love it. If you would like to talk about that one, of course we can. If we do an episode about gourds, I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get one a year. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, I get, get one. one. Ben Kissel's choice <laughs> and perhaps gourds or <laughs> perhaps maybe pickles. Maybe a full maybe, episode I mean, on pickles. I don't know. I guess. And of course, that oh. would, that would uh, cucumbers would be I guess pickles are the creepiest vegetable. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. My you know, favorite awards on them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for oh. supporting us for buying our comic book. Uh, yes. We now Woo! have a reprint. We got a second printing coming out. Uh, it's really meant so much to us. You guys yes. have bought Soul Plumber. So they're coming back to a lot of comic book stores. And again, uh, hit up your local shop about if you are interested in getting a copy. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, like uh, right now, they're, we're fucking we're sold out. I know there are some comic book stores that still have copies, uh, but for the most part, Soul Plumber number one is sold out. So Woo! if you still want to read it, if you missed it, uh, we are getting a reprint uh, of issue number one. Uh, we'll let you know exactly when that comes out, but I, you're going to need to go to your local comic book store. Just call them up and have them order it for you and have them hold it for you. They would be more than every comic book store in America would be more than happy uh, to hold a comic book for a new customer. So please, please, please support your local comic book stores, uh, especially uh, when uh, number two comes out and when the reprint of number one comes out. All right. And yes, seriously, thank you all so much. It's just incredible to get a reprint. It's super rare. So y'all are just wonderful. Amazing. Also, uh, we have our weed line. So we got roots over here in LA. There's a bunch of spots. Yeah. You got a higher path. And Sherman Oaks. So enjoy um, the weed. Yes. And uh, yeah, thank you all so much for supporting the shows. Uh, keep on supporting all the LPN shows. And um, anything else, Marcus? You want to, we, yeah. I know, uh, no dogs. Yeah, just No Dogs in Space uh, well. Season 2 has also been, was released on Tuesday. And uh, 
episodes of No Dogs in Space are going to be weekly for each series now. Awesome. So for the full Velvet Underground series, it's going to come out week after week after week. Then we're going to take a break until the next series, just to give us time to get put together the best album po- or album, the best episode possible. There you um, go. I listened so yeah, to the Velvet very first episode of Velvet Underground. It's great. That's wonderful. Oh. Yes, thanks for good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for supporting everything we do. And again, thank you also for the fantastic response regarding us going wide in February of next year. We can't wait to be on all of your podcast platforms. Yeah. And if you're if you're on Podcrab or wherever you are, seriously, man, wherever you want, uh, as of February first, twenty twenty two, going wide again, baby. Very excited to be back in Gen Pop, as Henry would say. So, and uh, it'll be nice. Thank you to Spotify for the years with them, and we want to say thank you to Stitcher for our forward years. Absolutely. Absolutely. With them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting. Everyone's been wonderful. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Geaton. Magustalations. Mm. Hail me. All right, oh. I'll hail you. I'll oh, hail man. you. Pounds and pounds of food for October Halloween. Yeah, I know that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're making sure that you're going to throw I'm going to bring pounds of food. Oh, yes. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be pounds of it. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.